Over the course of the next weeks, I'd like to take some time to examine a few verses from Psalm 127. Let me just read from Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, the verses that we will take a moment to look at over the next uh, few weeks. This is what Psalm 127, verses 1 to 2 say. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And of particular note to us today is the introductory note that is before the psalm, which says this, a song of ascents of Solomon. And it's those introductory words that I want to reflect on today, and uh, because they tell us something quite significant about this psalm. Notice the words, a song of ascents. Now, there's some debate among commentators over the precise meaning of those words, but it's generally assumed that the words, a song of ascents, designated a certain type of psalm that was sung by worshipers ascending the hill to the temple during the great Jewish festivals and feasts that took place during the year. In other words, the psalm was written for people who were coming to worship the Lord God. In many ways, it was a call to worship and designed to prepare the people of God for worship as they entered the temple. It reminded the people of why they needed to worship God. And from this particular psalm, we, we find how it reminds us of our need for the Lord and His work in our lives. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. He gives his beloved sleep. And as the people of God approached the temple to worship God, they sang this reminder. They, they remembered that they depended on, on this God for everything. They reflected on the fact that he was their sole protector. They, they contemplated the fact that he gave them rest and security. And all of these realities prepared their hearts to worship. Now notice the second detail mentioned in the introductory comments of the psalm and what it tells us about the author of this psalm. The psalm is of Solomon. In other words, King Solomon wrote this psalm. Now, knowing the author gives us a better perspective on the psalm and its meaning. Notice that as Solomon begins the psalm, he, he speaks of building a house, unless the Lord builds the house. Now, if there's one thing for which King Solomon was known, it was for his many construction projects. 
Solomon was known for the construction of his great palace, but in particular for the house of the Lord, the, the temple that he built. And the house that Solomon built for the Lord was the most luxurious the nation had ever seen. His father David had amassed large quantities of material for its construction. Consider the words of 1 Chronicles 22, verses 14 to 16, where we read 1 Chronicles twenty-two fourteen: With great pains, these are the words of David, I have provided for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and bronze and iron beyond weighing, for there is so much of it. Timber and stone, too, I have provided. To these you must add, you have an abundance of workmen, stonecutters, masons, carpenters, and all kinds of craftsmen without number, skilled in working, gold, silver, bronze, and iron, a rising work. The Lord be with you. Those were the words of David. Now let's break those down just for a moment. A talent weighed about 75 pounds or 34 kilograms. Now that meant that Solomon had the following at his disposal for the construction of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. 3,400,000 kilograms of gold. 34 million kilograms of silver. Now, at today's rate, the value of the gold alone would be somewhere in the vicinity of 187 trillion U.S. dollars. The value of the gold would be, uh, of the silver rather, would be somewhere in the vicinity of 20 trillion U.S. dollars. And beyond the $207 trillion in gold and silver was bronze and iron, timber, stone, all of which David tells Solomon that he was going to need to add to in order to complete the task. Stone cutters, masons, carpenters, all too numerous to, to, uh, to count. So that when it came to the building of a house for the Lord, Solomon was beyond rival in his day. Over $200 trillion worth of material in our day used in the construction of this incredible temple. Now Solomon was blessed also beyond measure in his reign. Listen to the description of those days from 1 Kings 10, verse 21. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the force of Lebanon were of pure gold. None of these uh, were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in those days. Solomon's kitchenware was made of gold. He had no silverware, for it was considered too common and of little value. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 23, speaking of Solomon, says, Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Solomon was known for his 
building of luxurious palaces. He constructed the most luxurious temple Israel had ever seen. The house of Israel as a nation prospered tremendously under his reign. Solomon was uniquely qualified to write a psalm about a building of a house. Now, having said these things about Solomon and his construction projects, it's important to note the words of God to the king after he completed this incredible temple that he had built for the Lord. Listen to what the Lord says when Solomon had completed the construction of the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 19 to 22. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. God told Solomon in that day that if his people turned away from him to worship other gods, then this marvel of construction would be absolutely destroyed. Solomon's great architectural feat would amount to absolutely nothing. It would lay in ruins. And as wonderful as the house of the Lord was, God would bring it to the ground if they did not worship and remain faithful to him. As Solomon enjoyed the great riches and provisions that the Lord had provided, he came to understand just how fleeting those Things could be. Reflecting on this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he writes, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the force of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both male and female, men and women, and, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. But Solomon would go on to, to say in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 9 to 11, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom reminded, remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. 
I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon denies himself no pleasure or privilege, but in the end, he tells us that he truly gained absolutely nothing. Everything was in vain, like striving after the wind. There was no ultimate satisfaction in all the riches and pleasures this world had to offer him. All the privileges of life left Solomon empty. There was nothing of true value in these things. His soul was not satisfied, and he was left looking for more. And reflecting on this, Solomon concludes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, the end of the matter, says Solomon, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Beyond all the luxuries this world can offer is something this world cannot offer. And according to Solomon, true satisfaction and fulfillment can never be found in this world. That can only be found in the fear of God. We were created for God and will never be truly content apart from him. We were created for God's purpose and will never know true joy and satisfaction apart from him and that purpose. What do the introductory words of Psalm 127 have to teach us? Well, they show us that we can achieve incredible things in our human strength. We can build great architectural masterpieces. We can enjoy the best life has to offer. We can live prosperous and comfortable lives. But the author of this psalm knew something else. He had heard the words of the Lord from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. If you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments, this house I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword. He understood from his personal experiences that all the pleasures of life without God are vain, and a striving after the wind, they're meaningless. It's not without reason, therefore, that he begins the psalm with the words, unless the Lord, unless the Lord. These words speak volumes in the life of Solomon. What does all this mean unless we have the Lord? What is the purpose of life unless we know the Lord? What is the purpose of our striving unless it is for the Lord? 
know how important it is that God teach us this lesson. All too often, we live our lives for the blessings of this world. But what is your family if they don't have the Lord? What is your financial security if you have no spiritual security? What are all the gadgets and luxuries if God is not in them? What is the temple if God is not in it? What is your church if God is not there? What are all your pleasures of life if God is distant? All too many believers have never come to understand truly this reality. The church is still filled with people striving after the wind. And I suppose if we were to examine our own lives, we would find many places where we too are striving after the wind. Now there's a place for these enjoyments in life. And, and writing to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17, the apostle speaking to the rich says this, As for the rich in this present life, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich were not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who gives them all things richly to enjoy. If God is not in their riches, what would they ulti- what would they ultimately mean? What lasting pleasure and satisfaction could they bring if God is not in them? Now the writer to the Hebrews says says this about Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11 verses 24 and 25, this is what the writer to Hebrews says about Moses. By faith, Moses when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, according to the writer of Hebrews, says, was had chosen to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There was more delight and purpose for Moses in being mistreated as a child of God than in the fleeting pleasures of an opulent lifestyle outside of God's purpose. Unless the Lord is in what we do. Unless the Lord is part of our pleasures, unless we are in tune with his purpose in our desires, unless we find more delight in him than in this world, then what does all of this mean in the end?